Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk's executive producer, Rob Perra. We at Food Tank want to share with you a special limited series of conversations on the important topic of agrobiodiversity, created in partnership with Food Tank and FACT, the Food Agrobiodiversity, Clarity, and Transparency Group. We'll be releasing a new episode every Sunday for the next six weeks. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Danny Nirenberg from Food Tank. I'm excited to welcome you to bringing agrobiodiversity to your dinner table, a six-part podcast series that features guests from across the globe who are united with a shared purpose to promote more locally-based, resilient food systems by what we eat. Today's guest is Stefano Padolose of the Alliance of Biodiversity International and SEAT. I'm so glad you could be here, Stefano. Thank you so much. You're impossible to introduce, <laughs> but you, because your career <laughs> has been long dedicated to recognizing, respecting, and honoring underutilized crops around the globe. You joined Bioversity International in 1993. You've been an incredible leader in the promotion of neglected crops, including uh, contributing to Bioversity's first strategy for the promotion of these species and launching the first United Nations global project dedicated to them. Uh, your work aims to empower farmers to build resilient livelihoods through agrobiodiversity-based solutions, strengthen preparedness in facing climate uh, changes, and helping manage uh, those farmers manage their risks. In some circles, you're known as Rocket Man, but I think we'll just get to that later. Um, so thank you again for joining me today. Um, I, I know you're locked down in Italy. I hope you and your family are all doing okay. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. We are doing fine. Thanks. That's great. So I, I always ask uh, my guests uh, for Food Tanks podcast the same first question, and that's what is your favorite food memory? Uh, well, uh, yes, indeed. It is uh, the rocket. We will talk about it later. But it's, uh, um, you know, my special food. I, <laughs> when I want to treat myself, I make a big salad uh, uh, with the uh, rocket, uh, so, so nice and spicy, so I love it. That's fantastic. That's a really good one. I, I do want to dig into your work, and in my own work, you know, sort of reporting on these issues, I hear the words neglected, underutilized, forgotten, minor, orphan, or or these crops are referred to sometimes as poor people's crops. Um, and and when when you're talking about these underutilized crops, what are we exactly are we talking about? What are these crops? Indeed, uh, there are uh, many terms uh, to refer to this category of uh, uh, crops, but uh, to put it simply, uh, these are plant species used for food or other purposes that have been uh, uh, forgotten or abandoned or uh, never mm-hmm. explored by uh, users uh, for uh, different reasons, uh, for uh, their uh, lower economic competitiveness, uh, lack of uh, improved seeds, uh, lack of uh, uh, you know cultivation practices, or just because they have lost the appeal of uh, you know to consumers. Um, when we talk about uh, uh, underutilized species, of course we refer to uh, cultivated, but also to wild uh, plant mm-hmm. species, and uh, they you know this food. Uh, uh, species can belong to different category uh, food groups, so cereals, vegetables, legumes, mm-hmm. fruit and tubers, fruits, 
spices, plenty of spices, spices all over the world. Can can we talk a little bit more about why they've been abandoned? How did that all come about, you know, really over the last 50 or 60 years? Yes. There are uh, many, many reasons why they have been abandoned. Uh, Some have to do with, uh, uh, you know, the low competitiveness. They have lost competitiveness with so-called commodity crops. And this is due because they have received very little uh, attention by uh, researchers. So they are Mm -hmm. not competitive. They are the victim of uh, the change of our um, eating habits. Uh, We like to eat fast, uh, uh, convenient food, and often Mm. discuss uh, plants that require, you know, uh, longer cooking, you know. Mm Uh, the new generations uh, um, are, you know, have lost also some of the, um, you know, recipes to cook this uh, uh, species. Sure. Because, you know, as we move uh, to cities, as we become uh, urban uh, uh, citizens, we lost our uh, connection with uh, uh, traditional uh, cuisine, you know? And, sure. uh, uh, and that is also another fact. Um, and also, we have uh, seen this uh, happening everywhere at all latitudes, especially among the younger generation. These traditional crops, as also they are being referred to, they are seen as uh, the um, crops of the poor. They have this stigma right. of being right. uh, the, the food of the poor and uh, and so should be uh, abandoned. Well, that stigma has led to a lot of problems. People have lost their taste, as you said, for a lot of these yeah. crops. They don't grow them uh, as much. But they also, you know, we're, we're losing the, the resilience that these crops provide. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how often these, these neglected crops are really the foods of the future because they're resilient to the, you know, erratic weather events or droughts or flooding or pests or disease. Yes, yes indeed. I have been working in biodiversity for the last uh, 27 years and always focusing on underutilized species and uh, working to bring back to the table. So um, I've been uh, exploring uh, this uh, uh, species in Latin America, in Africa, and in Asia, mm-hmm. and everywhere I have uh, found species that uh, uh, are appreciated by local farmer for their resilience. They are uh, drought resistant. Uh, uh, they are resistant also to uh, early uh, frost, uh, uh, cold. Uh, they can grow with less water compared to other. Mm-hmm. Uh, major crops, and I give you some example. For instance, uh, mino millets uh, in uh, in South Asia they are very popular. is a, a group of uh, more than ten species, and uh, you can uh, grow these species with uh, one tenth of the water required by rice. And so you can imagine in these days where rainfall are uh, you know uh, scarcer and scarcer. And so erratic growing millets can be really important for uh, local communities. Uh, other crops like uh, 
the um, um, Fonio uh, or Bambara granite in Mali. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been working with these two crops uh, lately. Also, they are very resilient to, to climate change. But what is interesting, uh, Daniela, of uh, this underutilized species, is that uh, uh, besides of being resilient and besides to of, uh, you know able to grow in marginal uh, poor soil, they also have a very interesting nutritional profile that mm-hmm. makes them uh, often, and we notice that often, uh, of a superior nutritional profile compared to uh, staple crops. And, sure. Uh, and so they have uh, what, you know, multiple benefits, uh, resilient nutrition, and also mm-hmm. income. Uh, if mm-hmm. the value chain is improved, if, uh, you know, we are able to address, and this is possible, uh, some of the bottlenecks in the value chain, they can uh, really uh, be uh, sold successfully in local, uh, regional, and, uh, you know, national or even international. Let's, uh, mm-hmm. think, you know, let's uh, think for a moment of uh, quinoa. Uh, when I start uh, my work, the most uh, famous, yeah, yes, <laughs> the most famous the, quinoa. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> Twenty years ago, working in Bolivia and in Peru, quinoa was definitely still an underutilized crop. But then it has been discovered, also thanks also to the International Year of Quinoa, the United Nations mm-hmm. declared that year in 2013, and that has helped to make this. Uh, uh, drought-resistant, uh, highly nutritious crop known everywhere. And mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, uh, even uh, countries like uh, United Arab Emirates are growing this crop. Uh, right. So there are uh, lots of opportunities to bring back uh, these uh, uh, crops back to the table. Sure. Let's talk about the the communities again who have been preserving these crops. In a lot of cases, it's really women farmers, right, who have kept these neglected, underutilized crops, forgotten crops, whatever you want to call them, who've kept them alive in in kitchen gardens. Can you talk a little bit about women's contribution to agrobiodiversity? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, as we know very well, uh, those of us who have been working uh, in the conservation and promotion of agrobiodiversity, we know that the, uh, uh, the group that was excluded you know, by the, uh, the Green Revolution, those that uh, were not uh, uh, involved in the Green Revolution were women. And that was a big uh, limitation, I would say, of the Green Revolution, because it is thanks to the women that we are uh, still using these traditional crops. Because typically, around the world, men focus on commodity crops, on staple crops, and women focus more on, uh, on those uh, nutritious but uh, marginalized crops like uh, 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 pulses or uh, vegetables or fruits. And so they are uh, really um, uh, the custodians. Of course, also uh, men farmers have been conserving, but women played really a strategic role in conserving the genetic diversity of these right. minor crops and also the uh, tradition associ- associated to their utilization. Uh, and that is very important because thanks to you know 
women, we know also how to um, to manage uh, these uh, plants and also how to cook uh, and mm-hmm. how to make us uh, more attractive and sustainable. So this is something that we have been neglecting uh, uh, for decades. And yeah. uh, I think time has come to bring women at the center of our what I would like to call evergreen revolution, mm-hmm. uh, driven by diversity and uh, with the uh, uh, you know key role played by women. That's great, an evergreen revolution. That's such a great term. Um, you know, I also you know appreciate these crops because they get people through tough times. There's what's known as the hunger season. In, in many countries yeah. in the world where, where there's, you know, not much to eat because everything has either, nothing has been planted or harvested yet. Can you explain how, how these crops get people through those tough times? Yeah, this is a really uh, an important point. Our work in Mali um, has revealed that during those periods, as you uh, called the lean season, that is the period where, uh, uh, household have uh, uh, exhausted uh, their reserve of food and uh, the harvest of uh, their staple is not yet ready. So mm-hmm. it is really uh, a difficult period. And um, uh, the survey that we have done in uh, Mali, but also in uh, other countries like Guatemala or India, has revealed the presence of hundreds of uh, nutritious uh, uh, plants, uh, uh, cereal plus uh, pulses, vegetables, fruits, uh, that uh, wild or cultivated, that uh, uh, can be uh, um, consumed by the local community and mm-hmm. uh, you know, help them to get through this uh, lean season. Um, and this is the case, for instance, of uh, Fonio, Afonia uh, is a very small uh, cereal, uh, but uh, highly resilient. That grows exactly, its harvest takes place exactly uh, before the harvest of rice. Uh, and, and so it's a, a moment of difficulties uh, in, in Mali. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, farmers can rely on, on Fonio to, to uh, meet that, uh, uh, you know, the food deficit. And uh, what we have done in our work in order to help the community to um, harness, uh, you know, all this diversity, we have developed a seasonal calendars uh, mm. to describe um, uh, when these crops uh, are, uh, you know, ready uh, throughout mm-hmm. uh, the year. So each month show the different crops according to the food groups. So uh, communities can uh, see when these crops can be harvested, also in the wild, and how to mix the different species to make a bunchous diet. This is great. We have made the posters um, of these calendars and given to communities, and, uh, you know, people are very, um, very happy um, of that. Yeah. That's fascinating. What a useful project. I mean, the, as, you, as you described, these are foods that bridge people 
bridge, you know, them between the the harvest and the hunger season. It really helps them get over uh, a hump that they would otherwise not, where they would not have food. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And of course, along uh, along with this information, uh, uh, we have also helped the community to uh, put together uh, recipe books. Mm. Because food is not just something uh, you take to fill your belly, right. uh, but it's also uh, a moment to enjoy, of enjoyment. Uh, uh, you know, in Italy, <laughs> we love to get together <laughs> sure. with friends while we have sure. lunch. And this is everywhere around the world. So nice recipes, trying to also improve those recipes with the help of food technologists to make it uh-huh. even more nutritious. No, that's fantastic. I think when we talk about these issues and saving crops and talking about, you know, uh, research and, and, and agriculture, that we forget that food is supposed to be delicious and these crops are supposed to not only fill your belly, but also, yes. you know, fill you with joy. And so I think exactly. that's a really important point. So if, uh, if you allow me, if, you know, um, for people to have an idea of how vulnerable we are becoming, we know very well that 60% of our calories of uh, plant origins coming, coming on just uh, out of three crops, uh, rice, wheat, and uh, maize. And uh, what happened to the 5,000 food uh, crop the species that are cultivated and that we uh, we are using less and less where well, they mm-hmm. have been uh, marginalized abandoned and uh, uh, you know they are also being lost their genetic diversity is lost and when mm-hmm. we lose this uh, diversity we cannot get it back and uh, and these days of uh, uh, you know uh, impact of climate change on production system I, you know, I like to um, use this metaphor that diversification in crop production is like diversification of investment of our money. Uh, and we uh-huh. go to the bank, our advisor says, well, we have to diversify because you never know. And sure. it's exactly the same uh, for our food uh, system. More diversity, more species, uh, means, uh, you know, a more stable, more sustainable, uh, um, you know, uh, food uh, uh, for us. And uh, this is very important. Very well said. I, I want to go back to how we started this discussion. And when you began your career as an agronomist, you worked on something that most people, you know, most of us don't consider underutilized. And, and that's yes. rocket or arugula. We call it arugula yeah. in the United States where, where um uh, we, I don't know why we can't say rocket. I, <laughs> that's how you get your uh, the, the rocket man. So I was wondering uh, if you could tell us, you know, yeah. how that all came about. You know, Danielle, uh, this is interesting. Okay, arugula comes from the Neapolitan arugula. Um, because in Italy we say rucola, rocket. But uh, so that's perhaps a link to the fact that uh, the Italian immigrants brought uh, this crop to the U.S., uh, mm-hmm. especially immigrants from Naples. And uh, it's an interesting story. We don't have the time, but just to mention that uh, Rocket was famous since the Roman time. And so, um, and why it was, you know, it's been used for centuries, in fact, only recently received the attention of researchers 
for uh, getting, uh, you know, better seed, uh, cultivation practices, and so on. When I was uh, a kid, uh, I am from Pompeii, uh, so that's uh, <coughs> a city well known for the Roman ruins. As a mm-hmm. kid, I used to wander in the ruins and in search of my rocket to pick from the wild and make my salad. And then, <coughs> as I, uh, you know, I, I grew older and I got my degree at the university and I joined biodiversity and uh, we carried out a survey to see what are what uh, were the underutilized species in the Mediterranean? We, uh, in those were the early nineties. Rocket uh, uh, was the top, uh, the top uh, uh, crop that was indicated by mm. hundreds of scientists around across the Mediterranean is wow. a crop meeting. Uh, uh, um, research attention. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it was mainly taken from the wild. There were very few mm-hmm. varieties. Uh, germoplasma was not available. Most of the production was from the wild, and this was causing genetic erosion. Populations of uh, this rocket were being, you know, uh, destroyed in the wild. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we worked to uh, Thanks to support from the Italian government, we work to establish a collaborative research network among medical scientists to study rockets and to develop better varieties, to you know, put together a collection, share knowledge. And so that you know, has, has helped also in some way to advance uh, the, um, uh, the utilization of rockets. Of course, now rockets uh, is uh, no longer an underutilized species, uh, but uh, you would be surprised because there are still some countries. When I was living in Syria, and I left uh, uh, some ten years ago, uh, the, um, the rocket was still considered as a, a you know a plant for um, for the animals to feed the animals, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, you know, lucky animals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you would go to the Sheraton Hotel, and rocket uh-huh. was there, being served in a twenty dollars uh, breakfast. Sure. Uh, so this is uh, this is something that is happening to many underutilized species. You may have uh, this situation where the crop is not being, uh, you know, um, it's not a mainstream, but uh, it is used as a gourmet. Uh, food right. uh, in uh, uh, you know in some restaurants, and that's allow me to say that you know we are working uh, to develop a food system where everybody should enjoy uh, the benefit of agrobiodiversity. You Absolutely, know, the future that I envisage is really a future where everybody will eat all this diversity, all these thousands of species will be there available uh, for uh, to feed the world, to feed it well, and also to make everybody enjoy this food, not just few people that will spend more money for a curiosity food. Absolutely. Well, and you've been working with Rediscovered to identify 25 underutilized crops that really show signs of being foods that can benefit us all, benefit the environment, 
uh, benefit farmers economically, benefit all, all of us as eaters nutritionally and, and with a lot of deliciousness and joy. W what crops or which crops do you feel really show the greatest promise right now? Yeah, I mean, there are the 25 crops that have been selected uh, by, uh, um, you know, a team of uh, scientists, experts are really great. I am uh, uh, very happy that in the list we have uh, crops uh, uh, like uh, Bambara groundnut. This is a, a very nutritious uh, pulse that is being grown in the sub-Saharan Africa, but uh, very much marginalized by research. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember 30 years ago, I was collecting uh, Bambara granat in the desert of Mali and in wow. Chad. And, uh, and I think uh, it has a tremendous opportunity for, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, helping farmer in uh, drought-prone areas. Another crop that is in the list is a chaya. Chaya is a very interesting vegetable. It's called the Mayan spinach, and uh, it's a, a relative of cassava. Uh, the leaves are uh, vegetables and are um, highly nutritious. You uh, can get 60 grams of protein from one kilo of leaves. So you can imagine how important is such a crop in areas uh, of uh, Central America where it mm -hmm. is grows areas that are afflicted uh, by uh, also, you know, malnutrition and uh, stricken by drought. And, uh, and uh, chaya is able to grow in areas with, uh, you know, uh, climate uh, uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, uh, uh, I am very fond of uh, uh, the uh, millets, finger millets, little millets, barrier millets. Sure. Uh, in Italy, we don't know this millet very much, but uh, sure. uh, interesting enough, all these millets are, uh, for instance, uh, uh, besides to be nutritious, uh, uh, highly nutritious, they are also gluten-free. So mm -hmm. they can be very good uh, for, uh, as, uh, you know, for baby food, to prepare mm -hmm. baby food for people who have... Uh, some intolerance to um, uh, to the gluten, um, and uh, and uh, uh, of course, um, I mean there are also um, many other uh, species, uh, fruit species uh, uh, that grow from uh, tropical fruit uh, uh, trees uh, um, uh, that we found in um, in Asia, in South Asia. Mm -hmm. Uh, that were not so well known um, in Europe, but also um, most promising um, right. for their resilience also to climate change. Sure. Again, these are the really going to be the foods of the future because of their resilience and you know their ability to to sort of adapt and and remain. Um, uh, an important part of, of people's diets for such a long time. You know, I think that you know. You understand, obviously, the importance of agrobiodiversity. I think a lot of, uh, of us in, in the food and agriculture sector have long understood why, why these crops are important. But I'm wondering, you know, how we get others to, to understand that they're important, not just businesses and eaters, but also policymakers. I know you're planning yeah. a global congress on agrobiodiversity in 2021. 
what do you hope that will achieve? Yeah. Uh, yes, we look forward to the Congress. Um, and of course, there will be an opportunity to share the latest findings on all these benefits related to agrobiodiversity. And our hope is that by uh, presenting all, you know, this, uh, the result of our work, of our projects, projects that have contributed to, to empowering uh, vulnerable groups around the world, mm-hmm. uh, help communities to fight climate change. We really hope that uh, uh, policymakers, decision makers will, uh, uh, you know, uh, will change their attitude towards these crops. Because as we know very well, you know, um, everywhere, not just uh, in, uh, you know, uh, some developing country, but also in more developed economy, uh, agriculture development plans are still uh, driven by few uh, commodity crops. Right. And so the marginalization and, you know, uh, what we have seen in the green Revo- during the Green Revolution somehow is still there, that attitude of... Uh, limiting the focus of research uh, to few crops and few mm-hmm. varieties. Uh, the, you know, standardization, uniformity uh, is everywhere. And I think we really hope that uh, during the conference, decision maker uh, uh, will, uh, uh, we, you know, will uh, appreciate uh, the, the benefit, in particular, uh, the resilience. Because if you ask me, um, often people ask me why there is an interest these days uh, for an underutilized species. And the answer to me is that besides the nutrition, what is really uh, perhaps uh, uh, opening the eyes of people and the decision maker is the need for diversification. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. to diversify to make our food system more resilient. We really need uh, diversification. Uh, resilience uh, is uh, um, really, you know, hitting our food system and uh, uh, um, the only solution, I would say, the most strategic solution that we have uh, to counteract uh, uh, climate, climate change is to diversify our production system, uh, production and food system. And so the portfolio, this huge basket of thousands of underutilized species is just there uh, waiting for us, uh, waiting to be harnessed, promoted and, you know, celebrated in our uh, also uh, traditional food culture. So to me, this is really um, our, you know, our great hope that in the years mm-hmm. to come, uh, decision maker will include, will embed underutilized species in agriculture development uh, strategies and plans. I love that you use the word celebrated. I mean, we talk a lot about investing in research of these crops and, you know, of course, eating them and, you know, getting them in the global market but celebrating them is something that we don't do enough. So I'm really glad you said that. Yes, I think uh, uh, this is something that perhaps uh, uh, in uh, modern culture or lifestyle, uh, you know, we pay le- 
less attention, but uh, uh, you know, I come from a, an Italian uh, family uh, where uh, food is uh, our um, element. Uh, is is the way preparing food and prepare certain recipe using certain crops, certain ingredients is a way to uh, underline our identity, our uh, you know unity, our to bond our uh, community. So food uh, uh, and uh, uh, agrobiodiversity is not just uh, uh, something to eat because we need. To uh, you know, to uh, sustain ourselves, but it is also uh, uh, plays also a fundamental role in our societies, and uh, and so celebration, bringing more food, would make our celebration, you know, uh, uh, more uh, certainly happier and more enjoyable today, and uh, of course in the future. Absolutely. So my my, cla- my last question to you is: I want to know who inspires you the most as you do this work. The person uh, talking about underutilized species, the person that really has been inspiring and uh, uh, mentoring, also in several locations, guiding uh, my uh, professional growth, is uh, Professor Swaminathan, who is uh, uh, you know ninety four. And, uh, uh, and I think still, uh, you know, source of inspiration to people like me who are committed, uh, you know, to conserve and promote uh, agrobiodiversity. Uh, 20 years ago, I met Professor Swaminata, who was invited by the president of the Italian Republic to give a lecture at the parliament. And uh, he, uh, you know, uh, we discussed uh, that uh, moment uh, how to uh, launch an international project to, to promote underutilized species. And, uh, you know, that, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been working uh, with uh, also thanks to the support of uh, IFAD and the European Union. Uh, to in different projects to promote these species and uh, and uh, you know I'm really grateful for Professor Tuaminata, one of the father of the Green Revolution, but uh, sure. he uh, is uh, uh, now promoting not just our staple crop, but is uh, you know still very much engaged in promoting also other utilized species um, uh, for uh, improving our life. Absolutely. He is an inspiration, as are you. I'm so glad you could be uh, with me today, Stefano. Thank you so much. Please stay well. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you. Bye. This has been episode one of Bringing Agrobiodiversity to Your Table, a six-part series produced in partnership with Food Tank and FACT, the Food Agrobiodiversity Clarity and Transparency Group. To hear additional episodes, you can visit foodtank.com and check out Green, Brown, Blue, where we can learn more about agrobiodiversity, supply chains, and rediscovered foods.